This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today, also, as always, is Dan Lyons. How's it going, everyone? So, yeah, the football season getting pretty close. I'm getting excited. I know you're getting excited. Overall, it's an exciting time. Yeah, I feel like it's been so far away all year, and now it's, like, it's so suddenly breathing down our necks. It's just like pounced out of nowhere, and it's it's you know just over a week away. I know everyone yeah, here will be watching gonna... that big Georgia Southern game on Wednesday. Next Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, I'll be tuning in. I but I do you think that is eh. for me, since I will be out of town for opening weekend, um, I will be trying to get all the college football I possibly can. As will I, for very college football-y reasons, I will be out of town. Not in Syracuse, unfortunately. I won't be able to see. Uh, I mean, I'll watch it on the computer, because on ESPN3, but I won't be in Syracuse. I'll actually be at the unofficial kickoff of the, the season down at South Carolina versus Texas A&M, so that's going to be fun. I am incredibly jealous of that. <laughs> I'm hoping, as I said last night on Twitter, I can't wear orange or else I'll probably be stabbed. So I'll, I'll go with a nice neutral, if not South Carolina-leaning color. Smart. You know, uh, I was hoping Washington would be in town when I was up in Seattle uh, next weekend. But it ends up that they're playing Hawaii in Hawaii. So instead, I'll be going to a Mariners game. Very fun. Should be. The Mariners not quite actually football, but it's something. No, it's close. I mean, for the consolation prize, I'll be seeing our fearless leader while I'm up there. So I feel like that's an even trade. That's not too bad. Yeah. So uh Yeah, today we're talking about Virginia Tech, which is uh which will be much much less negative 
than, uh, than talking about Virginia, who is terrible. And we'll actually have things to talk about and, and wins to predict and all kinds of other things like that when it comes to the Hokies, who were never really our rivals when we were in the Big East together, but we always kind of disliked them. And now we never play them, so we're pretty much just at that like level of, yeah, you guys exist, so do we. That's fun. So, so it is with the with our coastal division rivals, who we many of whom we actually have history with. So, as we always opine, it's it's unfortunate, but it's what it is. State of the sport. Yep. Well, at this point, I mean, we've talked about this too. Now that like there's autonomy and all this other stuff, I think there's very little stopping the ACC from probably just scrapping divisions. It's just a question of, you know, what type of models they decide to go with, which is good. Because I feel like that'll that'll allow all of us to play each other more often. It'll scrap the ridiculous divisions that we never should have had to begin with. Um, overall, it seems like a, a positive step. I'm just kind of, you know, once we uh, once we get to the football meetings uh, next spring, I think we'll see some movement on that front. It would just be so much better, especially the Big 12 is in such a desperation thing to play the a championship game that, I mean, it wouldn't be hard for the other conferences to be like, yeah, okay, and just kind of jump on the same bandwagon, albeit for different reasons. Agreed. Although I think that out of all the major conferences, the only one without a clean split is us, and, and that's kind of why that's kind of why I think the drive is there for the ACC to, to, to scrap divisions versus everybody else. I mean, the Big East, the, the East-West split does make sense, and it keeps most of its rivalries intact. Uh, the Pac-12 does a nice job of making sure the California teams get to play each other while everyone gets to play in California fairly often. Um, outside of, uh, of those four schools, and then the SEC obviously has their issues with, with realignment. And to be honest, they would probably be another um, potential uh, conference to scrap divisions altogether. Yeah, especially if you're Tennessee and you just play Alabama every year when you're trying to rebuild. I mean, I know they want that rivalry, but still, like, I'm sure they they wouldn't it wouldn't kill them to have a year off when they're trying to put together a bowl team or something. Oh, I mean, if you're Tennessee, you want several years off because at this point, I mean, they won't admit it. They'll say they'll be upset, but deep in their hearts, I'm sure that wouldn't that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them. Well, it is amazing to me what the Vols program was and what it's become. And it, it is kind of wacky. I know, what was it, like four or five years ago was the first time um, since the move that uh, that the Titans had out had gotten more season ticket requests than uh, the Volunteers. I don't know if that's still the case, uh, just because the Titans have kind of fallen into a, uh, a steep spiral of mediocrity. But... Um, I mean, to me, that was kind of a watershed moment for, for football in Tennessee. Um, it'll be interesting. I doubt that's still the case. I saw a picture or pictures from uh, Tennessee, like, had a practice or, or a scrimmage or, or something, and they put, like, 45,000 people in the seats. So no. <laughs> I wouldn't be too worried about the fan support there. Well, in that case, I mean, still, you're looking at – you are looking at a program that nonetheless has struggled on the field in recent years, I think. I think they're helped out a bunch by, uh, by what seems like a, a revival recruiting-wise, uh, what seems like a fan interest 
revival, the fact that James Franklin is gone uh, from Vanderbilt certainly helps them in terms of attracting uh, in-state talent. So I, I think you're going to see a turnaround. Just I, I'm, I guess we'll see just how stark that turnaround is. Yeah, and they all seem to be just really excited about Butcher Jones, which is funny because he's not a super exciting coach, but I think just not being Derek Dooley and not being a snake oil salesman like Lane Kiffin, like being somewhere in between where you have some kind of charisma, but you're not going to just bounce right away, um, that seems to be like what they're, they're, they're okay with that now. They'll settle. And uh, he's apparently, I mean, he's had like a, 32-person recruiting class this year, and they all, like, half of them got to campus in January somehow. So I, I can see why, why their fans would be somewhat excited for the future, although I'm not, you know, too high on them this year. Yeah, I think, that that's a rebuilding, I think that's a rebuilding project, and, and that's not a bad thing. And It's good for their fans that they're able to view it, um, you know, as a mostly positive uh, endeavor. When you, when you just look at, at how that program's seemed lately just so, you know, downtrodden and, and just not not a fun place to be, not a fun team to watch. And I, I think it's it's commendable that the fan base can kind of reset expectations um, and, and, you know, and really kind of view things realistically and, and see this as a several-year build. Um, but you know what? Like, given how the East looks in the SEC, I mean, who knows? Within two years, I mean, they could be contending again. Uh, who knows what happens in Florida this year. Um, they have the talent to win eight games. They also have the coaching to lose eight games. Um, Missouri's obviously got questions. Georgia um, always has the talent, but, you know, it just seems like they can just never never get to that, you know, highest, highest uh, peak as a program. They lose a late game or lose an early game that just completely takes them out of the title hunt. Um, and then you have, you know, a lot of also rands in the East, too. And then there's South Carolina, who was in a budding power. But again, like Georgia, it just seems like there's just there's just one hump they can't get over. So you know what? I mean, kind of a, a very, very quick way to look at the SEC East. But at the same time, it does point out the fact that, you know, Tennessee isn't isn't dead and buried by any means. I mean, you know, you can look at what Missouri did last year. This is, this is a team that can, that can very, very easily... I find myself back in tension within the next year or two. Yeah, that's always been funny to me. Like after those, after Mizzou and A and M joined up, all any SEC fan talked about was that how they were going to get run off the field and how they couldn't contend right away because the SEC is so strong and it is. But it, it still made me laugh in retrospect to think that in the first year, uh, Texas A and M was like the story of the conference, and then the second year, Mizzou won the SEC East. So. You know, it's it's things aren't always as they seem, um, and it's not as impenetrable a thing as as people make it out to be. Nope, unless you're Kentucky. No, they're, they're never gonna be good. <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> who they are. Sorry, Kentucky. Doesn't matter. You have basketball though. Doesn't, yeah, you don't care. Doesn't I mean, matter how many top ten, top fifteen, top twenty recruiting classes you take in Kentucky. You are just, just completely screwed. <laughs> but again, they they don't care. They have they have hoops they have hoops greater than stoops they're they're very content I think <laughs> hashtag All right. hoops greater than stoops uh, this week's hashtag uh, sure <laughs> why not I don't know what we're trying to accomplish there but, but sure Nothing. I have no issue with that 
this is week three of trolling hashtags here on the this podcast. Week. We had a this week remind Kentucky that they have one sport they can be good at and none others. <laughs> uh, last week was last week was uh, same BYU football, um, and any week before that um, was uh, Edsel for Florida. I'd have so, to look at uh, your yeah. secondary hashtag this week. Um, save Hawaii football so that those of us who don't stop watching college football at like 11 p.m. will still have something to do on Saturday nights. I mean, that's not even trolling. That's like a legit concern. No, it's not trolling. I, I absolutely don't want Hawaii football to go away. I don't even like okay. root for them or anything. I just want to be able to watch football that late. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's weird. I do have a soft spot for Hawaii. I just think in general, like, they've largely been a fun uh, program to watch. And, and, I mean, for me, like, you know, football's potentially over uh, by, you know, I mean, some nights, eight or nine, if, if a lot of the West Coast teams are, are elsewhere without Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii brings my, my night to midnight um, on, on most Saturdays, so it's good to, good to have that. And you know what, like, in general, it, Hawaii's always been a fun story. I mean, they've, they can play a perpetual underdog card as, as being the only you know, non-contiguous uh, college program. I mean, and honestly, if they, if they folded uh, the football program, I don't really know how Hawaii athletics would really continue to, to exist um, on a national scale. And, and that's just something sad uh, for anyone. So I think that, you know, Hawaii football, no matter how you feel about it, I think you should at least see the importance of it on the national scale. Yeah, for sure. So you never want want football teams and, and scholarship opportunities for people to go away. No, not at all. Right. Now Virginia Tech. Oh, yeah, that's what we're talking about this week. Yeah. This wasn't the Tennessee made, slash Hawaii podcast. We made you wait 12 minutes for Virginia Tech, but, but I, I promise it'll be worth it. Which is longer than, uh, or absolutely shorter than any Virginia Tech touchdown drive. So, really not that bad. <laughs> uh, so, starting with the quarterback position, uh, we still don't know who Virginia Tech's quarterback is, but it doesn't resolve, um, you know, our general opinions that this team is going to struggle with that quarterback. Um, for those who don't know, Michael Brewer was a transfer from Texas Tech. He did pretty well when he was there. Um, and then Mark Wheel uh, backed up Logan Thomas for a couple of years. He looked terrible in the ball game, and now, after what seemed like a rough spring, he's really come on in the late summer competition. And now it looks like a pretty dead heat between the two. Uh, Dan, are you leaning any one way uh, between these two guys? And, and do you think it'll make a difference, given that the offense has kind of been stagnant in recent years? Um, I don't know. It, it seems to be pretty hard to read. They haven't really – it doesn't seem like they've really leaned either way. Um, Brewer, uh, Brewer always, you know, is probably going to get some of the, the hype just because he's a new guy. But um, I don't know. It's tough to see, but I don't think it'll necessarily be a bad thing. I mean, Logan Thomas was there forever, but he really wasn't that great, as as the Arizona Cardinals don't realize. Uh, so I think I think get it, getting some new – fresh blood in there at quarterback isn't the worst thing in the world for the program. Agreed. Though I will also mention, oddly, didn't Ron Jaworski say this week, not that I care what he says, um, that Logan Thomas was 
one of the best first-year quarterbacks you've ever seen? I don't. I haven't seen that, but it doesn't shock me because Jaws is prone to hyperbole more than most people on TV. Um, I think he also, or one of them, said that he like a couple years ago he was like going to be the number one pick. You know, in like when he came out, and uh, that wasn't the case. He was actually a overdrafted fourth round pick. I think if I wasn't, if I'm correct. Fourth round sounds about right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Tech man. I think it, they'll get some kind of Thomas S. production, if not better, at least as a passer. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they get out of him. I'm, I'm not sold. Um, in terms of who's on the Inter's current roster, I feel like I feel like Leo didn't do anything to to get the inside track while he was on the roster, so I don't think he should be given um, any deference here. I think that Brewer has actually proven himself in, in real game minutes uh, with Texas Tech. I think it'll help them um, break open this offense a bit. And in general, you know, this team has kind of been going through a ton of uh, opposite turnovers since a few years ago, having like five seniors on the line. Uh, since then, they've just perpetually lost um, a ton of linemen, a ton of receivers, uh, running backs been a revolving door since David Wilson left, um, and injuries have kind of slowed down guys like Trey Edmonds and J.C. Coleman, uh, both of whom are going to challenge playing time this year. Uh, I just think in... in in general, there's just a lot. There's too many questions on the offense. There's, there's not a definitive identity. Um, and, I mean, even if this team decides to go back to running the ball a lot, as they did, like, that's what made them so successful a couple of years ago uh, when Thomas had a really great season, a, a breakout performance, and was seen as a potential first-round pick. Um, David Wilson put up you know, career numbers, and if it wasn't for a very tragic uh, neck injury, this offseason uh, could have been on to a productive NFL career. Um, and I, I just think you look now, uh, you've got a freshman projected to be on the offensive line. You've got, you know, just a lot of underclassmen at, at these positions. And, and especially when you have, you know, a new quarterback, especially with Leal, um, it, it's tough to project success. For, for this group, and, and I know people are willing to look past it for this defense, and I can to a point, but I don't. I can't see this team winning 10 games with this offense. Yeah, it's hard to see that. I mean, there just isn't a lot of star power on either side. Um, I mean, their receivers are actually fairly productive, um, and they have a bunch coming back, but just no one really jumps off the page at you um, as a – a guy who is going to take this offense to the next level. Uh, they're lucky that the defense is going to be really good again. Um, and I wouldn't put it past them to win the Coastal or anything because, again, the Coastal. But uh, it's it's um, it's tough to really get a beat on them. And I mean, can it be worse than last year? I mean, last year they averaged, what, around 22, 23 points a game. Um, I, I do agree. I think the receivers – the receivers hold the key here. Um, if it's Brewer, Brewer's played in a, in a more up-tempo system in Texas Tech. If he's got a quick release and he's going to need it, given uh, the fact they only have two returning, well, technically four, but I guess it depends on who gets shuffled where um, on this line. 
uh, I, I think if, if we're going to utilize that quick release, um, you know, receivers like Stanford and, and Dimitri Knowles are both going to be um, heavily, heavily utilized. Um, but then I guess the question is, does the team lose its identity if it goes pass heavy versus run? And again, I'm just not I'm not sold on Coleman or Edmund uh, at the halfback position. But you know, crazier things have happened. I know a lot of people uh, questioned Wilson uh, when he first took a starting role, and that worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. And then I guess defensively, um, you know, once again, it's just a, it may be a revolving door on defense just because of how good these kids are. Uh, and I guess that's the point here is that it, it doesn't really matter who's in Bud Foster's system. It, it only matters that uh, it is Bud Foster's system. And, you know, once again, you have a murderer's row of, uh, of, of uh, cornerbacks, you know, with Kendall Fuller and, and uh, Brandon Faces on, both of whom just absolutely lit it up as freshmen last year. And then Kaishan Jarrett and uh, Derek Bonner are both absolutely unstoppable. I mean, is this is this one of the best secondaries in the country? I think it has to be. I mean, they've returned the whole thing, um, aside from, like, Kyle Fuller. Kendall's better, and he was a freshman last year. He could be the best corner in the country. Um, he's up there. He's on that list. They, But just they have so many guys coming back. Um and the front seven doesn't return nearly as much, but, uh, but A, Bud Foster is such a good coach. It's one of those things where you don't really worry about it too much because you assume they recruit well enough to bring quality guys in and Foster will be able to coach them up. But when you have a secondary, that is just so hard to throw on. I mean, it really will raise the game for everyone else. And I think, you know, that's where, I mean, like, I I like Luther Maddie, um on the on the defensive line. Um, I like Kenny Kim, I like Dottie Nicholas, but I don't think that they're transformative players on the defensive line. However, because they have these corners, um, you know, that's going to give, that's going to make for a longer wait time to release the football for opposing quarterbacks, and it's going to allow them to really uh, get some penetration on that line and, and you know, pick up some sacks. It's going to force teams uh, to potentially run the ball more. I, I just think that there is, you know, in this case, I think the secondary really does set up the, the front seven for, for for a lot of big success. It's just a question of how much. I know that in past years, the linebacking core has been, you know, pretty key for this group. And I think this year, you know, it really does shift to to completely and utterly, you know, defensive back you, uh, as Virginia Tech has been in the past. Just these four guys are gonna are gonna shut down everybody. Um, and, and in a division with a lot of you know questions uh, at quarterback, um, other playmaking positions, I think this is going to be a huge aspect for them. It also helps that the guys they do have coming in up front. Um, I mean, they still have Luther Maddy, who was their best defensive lineman last year, uh, sits in half satch on the interior tackle spot, which is impressive. Um, and then the linebackers, I mean, they have juniors and, and sophomores and, and even a senior, Chase Williams, who will get in the mix. So it's not like they're putting in freshmen. Like These are guys that have been in the system for a couple of years, um, and even if they haven't had a chance to really go play big minutes, it's not like they're completely new to everything. Like all that, Most of these guys that are being plugged in are, have had a couple of years in the, in the system. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of, uh, of Foster's system and his reign as defensive coordinator here too, uh, is that he's, he's so willing to plug in those guys at, at an early age, and he's so willing to shuffle guys in and out so that – 
even if he's plugging in sophomores, he's plugging, plugging in juniors, by the time those guys are starters, it doesn't really matter like that they weren't starters already. They've had plenty of time to get the system. The system hasn't changed. Um, I, I just I really like you know the, the, this type of tradition and, and the, the continuity that it gives. I mean, you just look at Virginia Tech's defense overall. Um, for most of the last decade, it's been it's completely lights out. And I think this year, you know, once again, you're looking at nationally a top 15 to 20, I mean, max group. Yeah, and it seems like they're in that range every year. Like, they, they're not always, like, right at the top, but they very rarely are off the grid in terms of being one of the ACCs and one of, you know, the top 20 or 25 defenses in the league. And that's just really a testament to him and, and what he's put together. So I guess then, you know, that leads us to the, uh, the special teams, which is really kind of that, that key component of Beamer Ball, which I've always found to be a nonsensical phrase. But nonetheless, um, has has the other success. It's kind of fallen off a bit lately. Uh, do we think Beamer Ball makes a comeback this year? Uh, special teams going to be going to be kind of a key. Virginia Tech again, or is this, this group really going to rely solely on the defense? Um, I'm not sure. They have a, a good punter, uh, which at this point is probably the first time I think we brought up the punter in uh, any of these previews. Um, even coming from a, a, a punter-rich school like Syracuse. Uh, but they have a good guy coming back in A.J. Hughes. He had a 44.1 average last year, which is pretty pretty damn good. Um, their, their starting kicker, who was uh, – well, how they only average well, – this is such a Virginia Tech thing. Their, their kicker last year only averaged eight field goals. <laughs> <laughs> or not average. He only took eight field goals. That's, uh, that's odd. Yeah, they had two guys take one each, and then their starter took eight, and he was five for eight. So I don't know. I don't know what their field goal kicking is going to be like, but that's not really the Beamer Ball thing. Um, I don't know. They've been a little down the last couple of years. You haven't heard about you know the big blocks they always end up coming up with, or you know running kits back and doing all that stuff that most schools you know is just not part of their week to week thing. And it is for Virginia Tech, but uh. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to dive into that, not knowing the real specifics of the of the team this year. But uh, I'd always bet on it being pretty good. Although last year they were down. Agreed. Like I said, it'll be interesting to see if they can come back because you know what, this isn't a. This hasn't been a strength, and, and I think it's been one of the you know cruxes of that pal. Uh, Virginia Tech has kind of dipped a bit. I mean, do you think? Do you think that, that Frank Beamer's on his way out? Do you think that this is that this is one of his last seasons? I know people aren't really using the term hot seat, and I agree. I, I think it's, it's overplayed because they really were um, a game away from playing for yet another ACC title last year. Um, he's mentioned the media this offseason. He doesn't want to oversee his welcome. But this, I mean, this seems like the beginning of the end. This, this team isn't winning 10 games consistently anymore. Uh, they're not necessarily competing for – for you know an ACC championship, while they might be competing for a division title, um, I do think that you know Florida State and uh, and Clemson are, are well well ahead of them in the uh, conference arm race. So I mean, are, are we seeing are we in the midst of seeing the last of Frank Beamer? Um, it might be a little premature. To, I mean, as you said, I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat. He he has the He's one of those guys where he legitimately built the program. Like, there was no big-time Virginia Tech football before him. And it's got, it's got to be hard to 
kind of tell that guy to to get out just because, and it's probably not appropriate to do it. So I'd say I don't know. I think Beamer will leave when he knows it's right. Uh, he's has so much tied into it. I doubt he would uh, he would overstay his welcome, like you said. So I don't know. I would give him a couple more years, and eventually I think he'll you know maybe go to another ACC final or have another nine or ten win year, and maybe call it quits. Um, I don't think he would stay where you know he was only winning five games and he you know, clearly needed to be out. I don't, I don't think he would let it last that long. Great. All right, I guess that brings us to uh, the halftime. So, talking about beer, obviously. What have you been drinking? I went to New York this weekend, and we went to the uh, the beer house, uh, which is a beer garden near Grand Central, um, which is a Hofbrau beer house, which is nice. Uh, so I had their Dunkel and also their Heffy Dunkel, which are both delicious. Um, you know, brown ales. Uh, the Heffy is a, a Heffy mix with that. Uh, so just really, really good, drinkable flavor, high-flavor uh, high beers. But you know, surprisingly, not like too heavy or anything. So I always recommend those, especially when you in New York. There's a bunch of those different beer houses around, which are always fun. Um, and then I also had I, I tried my my broken to the pumpkin vault for the first time this year, um, which I wasn't planning on, but it was there at the at the uh, store. I tried uh, Two Roads, Rosemary's Baby, which um, it wasn't my favorite, and I'm actually a big Two Roads fan and a big pumpkin beer fan. Uh, I think part of the reason was I didn't have a lot of time to refrigerate it, so it wasn't, like, super cold at any point. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it was okay. It, it's not my favorite pumpkin, and it's not my favorite thing by them by any means. But uh, I'll probably give that one another try when I'm in less of a rush because I was on my way to the city and, and didn't get a, too much time to put that on ice. And then uh, I drank a decent amount of uh, Goose Island's IPA, which is always good. Really good staple IPA, very drinkable. I feel like for the most part, I feel like pumpkin would probably be best like just under room temperature, if I, if I had to guess. Like it, it's roundabout, you know, serving ideal. This one is also it's a little darker and a little like more heavy, um, so it's not like the really like drinkable lighter like Saranac pumpkin or one of those. It's more of like a, a deeper brown ale with some pumpkin flavor. So I don't know. I also it's just, I also just I don't know. I wasn't really feeling it yet, so started, we got to get into the fall before I really put on the the pumpkin uh get, get going with the pumpkins. It's still too early, I think, which this proved to me. Legit. I know I sent you that picture that somebody had up the other day. Yeah, of, if anyone uh, sends me pumpkin or I find pumpkin, I'm buying it no matter what. I'll buy that in June. So that that that, that supersedes fall and that that really it, it it breaks time and space. So it's it's so good. Yeah. For those who might have forgotten, Dan's a big pumpkin beer fan, and somebody uh, tweeted out a photo of a case of the 2014 uh, Southern Tier Pumpkin, which is also a favorite of mine. Uh, when I actually get to have it, so if it's, they get it's the gold standard. I might go hunting for that this weekend, and if I find any, I'll I'll, I'll shoot you an email. Yeah, because I feel like it's around. I mean, if they get distribution in North Carolina, I could always wait until then when I'm at the wake game. The only concern there is that that stuff sells real fast, and if a place like uh, I don't know how often North Carolina is getting it down there, so here's the here's here the question. Here's a question. If it starts getting around, are you driving down to the weekend? I'm not. 
I might be. Yeah. I might have to tap into the the greater noon network to see <laughs> as 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 a the potential secondary option. Yeah, as I said, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll run to a maybe I'll make a run to a, a big liquor store this weekend and see if I can sniff it out somewhere. Yeah, we'll talk offline. <laughs> Sounds good. We don't need to pass this out over the podcast for everyone else. <laughs> so listen to our illicit beer trading. It's very scandalous. <laughs> All right. So uh, some beers I had this weekend. Uh, I'll start with one thing and then just kind of jump into uh, the Stone 18th anniversary uh, beer fest that I was at. Uh, before I went to that, I got to grab a uh, peanut butter milk stout from a Belching Beaver uh, brewing down in San Diego. Absolutely delicious. I usually avoid it um, only because my wife is like definitely allergic to peanuts, so I don't want to kill her. <laughs> so for me, because she wasn't around that weekend, I, uh, I went for that and was uh, very, very pleased with uh, with what I had. Uh, pretty much tastes like a Reese's peanut butter cup. So, again, highly recommended beer. Um, really good stuff. Had it on draft, uh, but it's in bottles pretty much all around California, or at least Southern California. Uh, and then at Stone's 18th anniversary uh, shindig, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to get myself a uh, rare beer section uh, pass. So seven hours, 15 tasters, Rare beer from all around the country. Um, got to try a uh, compunction from Russian River. It's one of their uh, excellent sours, but typically tap room only. But they brought themselves a keg uh, down to the event. Uh, I beat most of the line over there, so it was only like 20th in line out of what looked like about a 45-minute wait by the time I uh, time I got my beer after me. Uh, also had from uh, the brewery. They had their uh, Sucra. Uh, Wild Ale. Uh, this one was aged in port, and I am a huge fan of ports in general, so definitely recommend that. Also had from Russian River Temptation, another one of their sours that uh, you'll find around here. Had a Furious uh, Amber IPA from Surly Brewing there in Minnesota. Had Almanac Farmer Reserve Citrus, uh, very good one. You can find bottles around here. Um, actually saw, when you were talking about pumpkin, I remembered, I saw their uh, pumpkin sour um, on shelves today. I didn't want to jump into Ooh. that. Yet, but, uh, Which one was that? Almanac's pumpkin sour. Hmm. That sounds interesting. I'm going to look it, look it up. Yeah, I'll, uh, again, uh, that might end up being an offline conversation <laughs> if for some reason Almanac does not get out to the North East. I don't think I've seen anything from them, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, something tells me no. This is, uh, yeah, um, some other things, and this is all just because I had so many tasters. Uh, the Wanderer, uh, Wild Ale from the brewery, uh, very, another very, very good beer. I'm not a big fan of the 18th anniversary IPA from Stone, admittedly. Um, I'm sure I know it's all around back east, out here. Um, but I did have it uh, with Citra Hops uh, at the event on cask, and it was actually really, really good. Um, much better than the, the bottled version, in my opinion. also had uh, Stone's Cali Belgique um, Asian white wine barrels, and that was also delicious. 
It doesn't look like Almanac goes anywhere outside of California. Well, there you go. And we already, uh, we put something on the board. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my weekend in drinking a ton of beer. As per usual. But more so this weekend. Always a good time. And football's coming, so we'll be even more more appropriate and everything else. I'm excited. But surprisingly, I'm not one to drink a ton during games. I, I do don't most drink of my during games. Before games, I'm um, all about it. Yeah, before and after. I'll, yeah. I'll have a couple beers during games, but I'd rather not pay like $10 for them. So I'm just like, I'll hold off. Yeah, I mean, like, I watch a ton. I mean, there's plenty of bars around here to watch. I watch a ton of football from the comfort of my living room, especially when I'm looking to watch Syracuse. It's not like every bar has that game on. Um, so for me, I mean, and also I'm not drinking at 9 a.m. when the game's. Um, yeah, I'm usually, you know, in the comfort of my cover my apartment. And for me, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I usually just end up, I'm like, I'm stocked with stuff here, but I usually don't end up breaking into it until after the Syracuse game's over. Yeah, I don't know. When I'm at a bar, I'll, I'll drink, but I'm not, like, heavily because I'm paying attention to the game, so I'll just have something with me. Yeah, same. And same thing with, with being at, like, physically attending. I know, uh, I usually don't even bother drinking at uh, L.A. Coliseum and the Rose Bowl simply because it's too difficult for those who have been there or haven't. Uh, too difficult to get in and out of your seat because you have to actually go outside the uh, the bowl-type setup to get yourself any beverage or food. And they're not designed like modern stadiums, so they're kind of old, difficult to get out of your seat. <laughs> so for me, yeah, it's not really worth the hassle to uh to drink at those venues. So, you know, if I grab one beforehand, like an intelligent person, um, then it probably would be. <laughs> the one time, I mean, the Dome, I'll, I'll occasionally do it because they actually have some, like, decent beer. Like, they'll call them craft beer stands. They're not really, but I'm not one to really argue the, you know, semantics of that. But they have some, like, decent beer options uh, at the occasional stand. So when I'm at the Dome, I can go find, like, something that's not not Bud Light or Labatt, although I don't really mind Labatt, but that, that's where do I? Yeah, Labatt's like as far as like the the generic like super fizzy yellow uh, Pilsner's dough. Like I think Labatt's probably my favorite one. I think it has a little more flavor to it than the other ones, and it's really cheap up in Syracuse. Agreed. Well, it's interesting. I know like Labatt has two production centers in North America. One of them is the one um, up in Canada that the Syracuse is distribution from. The other one is the one in New Jersey that most other people get distribution from. So I feel like that's, that's part true. of the I don't even place. see it in New Jersey when I'm there. Like, the only place... I never find Labatt outside of upstate New York. It used to be all over down... Like, I used to see it in downstate a bunch. Um, I can't find it anywhere now. And, like, if I did, like, if, instead of buying, like, a 30... If I'm buying a 30 rack or something, I would go for Labatt every time. But, unfortunately... It doesn't seem to have a really wide distribution in this area. Weird. I think it might have changed, too, since the last time I was, like, in, in, in procuring some of the bad blue, so who really knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something I, like, go searching out for at this point, but... 
Yeah. You know, when I go to buy beer for the Notre Dame game, maybe if that's around, I'll I'll pick up something. Because you got to have something a little, little uh, uh, can't bring sits, all sits packs to a, a tailgate. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, you see, I'm much worse. I usually end up bringing crap bombers to, to tailgates. I'll do that too, but I always need to bring something like something that the that the general public will enjoy as well. Also fair. Yeah, I, I would say I've definitely done my fair share of that as well. well that was actually more than we usually talk about beer, but yeah, it was good. We're getting we're getting in that nice between summer and fall area here. It's good. It's a good beer time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can kind of transition that to uh, Virginia Tech's schedule. And, you know, going down the list as we normally do. Um, starting off with William & Mary, who I have a soft spot for, for some odd reason. Uh, the second university I ever set foot on after uh, after Army up in West Point. Um, William & Mary is not going to be good enough to be Virginia Tech, I'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be pretty lopsided. But you know what? Good payday for the trust, and uh, Virginia Tech picks up win number one. Yeah, uh, obviously I'm doing the same way. I still harbor a little bit of I don't know. William Mary makes me nervous because they almost beat us to the dome in basketball that one time, which was not not my favorite basketball home experience. Um, but yeah, I'll take Tech. They'll. Uh, I don't see that defense surrendering enough points to a FCS team to really get stared. Green. Although at the same time, not that I want to rehash this too much, but. Um, if we recall, Virginia Tech has had a pretty rough time with SBS teams of late. Oh, 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 yes, they have. <laughs> so, uh, who was one they lost to? They lost to, uh, James Madison? James Madison. Yep. Yeah. I don't know much about James Madison, but on the drive back up, the nor- up to the north from the ACC tournament this year, uh, a friend of mine and I, we drove down. We uh, got in town. We we left. I was he was on Long Island, so we went. We were there coming from there. We drove down, uh, slept for a while through the afternoon. Went to the Damon and Tennessee State. We lost. We then went to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Columbia, South Carolina, where they have a big blowout. And then the next day we drove back, and it's it's what the middle of March, and all of a sudden we get caught in this awful snowstorm in the middle of Virginia. And we had to pull off the road because we literally couldn't drive on the highway for a while in in uh wherever James Madison is. Uh I forget what town that is. But uh so we, we were around that campus for a little bit because for whatever reason there was a massive snowstorm in the middle of March in Virginia. And it took us about twenty hours to get back to Long Island from North Carolina or South Carolina. So not not my favorite day of twenty fourteen. As I would assume. The, uh, Virginia is a big state, and it took us about 10 hours to get through it because we had to drive like 30 miles per hour on the highway. Yeah, not the uh, not ideal in any way, shape, or form. So when you asked if I was flying to Wake Forest, the answer is yes. 
Sorry, I had just looked up. This has been making the rounds now for the past few minutes on Twitter. Uh, the old ball coach took the uh, ice bucket challenge. Oh, did that happen? I need to find that. Not that happened. I know it was oh, it's going everywhere. to happen. It's everywhere. Yeah, let me... There we go. I had to find the video. Who did he call out? Saban, who already uh, did it. He did it today, and then someone and Bob... Yeah. Saban did it and called out uh, uh, Feinbaum, which is... I don't know. I think Feinbaum might melt. <laughs> my problem will do it though. He'll do it. The only person who's better call out is he's failed. I think yeah, he did that he call it must chance. Must chance is just gonna look exactly the same after being doused with cold water. <laughs> I think even more um what I'm more excited for is uh, apparently Mike Frances is doing it on Friday. And I, as I tweeted last night when this came out, if he doesn't dump Diet Coke on his head, he's completely missed all opportunities and doesn't understand the Internet. Yeah, I did it last weekend. It really wasn't that bad. It, it, you know, you're cold for a second. It's not, not the end of the world. And it's for a great cause. And you should also all donate money if you do it. Don't just pour ice on your head. Well, that, that that's my big, I mean, without going into a rant, that, that is my big point of contention. The donating money part is really the big deal. And, and if, people, if people are raising awareness by dumping ice on themselves and also giving money, go for it. If people are just dumping ice on their heads instead of donating? Yeah, like I thought... I felt similarly because I saw all these people that are like, you either have to donate $100 or you can pour ice in your head and, like, get out of it. I'm like, it's not getting out of it. It's, it's you know, supposed to, you're supposed to do both. You're not just, like, avoiding this obligation. It's, it's for – and while apparently, like, all the ALS organizations have said it's, it's incredible and it's been a huge boon for their fundraising, and that's great, so I'm, I'm on board. Um, you should also – like, if everyone who did it donated, like, 5 or 10 bucks even – like, it would probably even be even more effective. So hopefully everyone that's doing it is doing something, even if it's not 100 bucks. Um, it's very easy to do. So definitely do that. Agreed. All right, so game two. Um, I'm actually glad that uh, that we that we didn't have a Virginia Tech to this week because now uh, this game gets interesting. Uh, September 4th at Ohio State. Um, Ohio State is going to have basically five new offensive linemen, a brand new quarterback. Now that Braxton Miller is out, um, are you convinced that Virginia Tech can pull this upset, or is this still Ohio State's game to lose? They can certainly pull the upset now. I think this is a game. Both defenses are really good. Um, Ohio State's defense is still very, very talented. So I think this really comes down to which quarterback between uh, whoever wins the Virginia Tech job. And assuming JT uh, Barrett wins the Ohio State, which it sounds like it's not even like a contest, it sounds like it's his. Um, I think it's going to be come down to whatever offense did muster something because uh, I think both defenses are, are very stout um, and both offenses are now super questionable. So I'm going to lean Ohio State just because it's it's still up at, at the horseshoe. Um, they're still probably a more talented team across the board. Um, but it's certainly not a slam dunk, as I would have said two days ago. 
Yeah, I, I agree there. I think this is still Ohio State's game, especially because it's at home, but at the same time, like, this provides some intrigue. I mean, Ohio State's still stacked with four- and five-star guys at every position anyway. It's not as if they're they're plugging in some scrub. Um, you know, it, it's they have plenty of talent. Um, I think they win the game. I think this is a very, very close matchup, and this is really going to be a fun one to watch um, in, in week two after, after what seemed like it could have been a, a bit of a sleeper. Um, you know, this one is going to be a good game. I think Ohio State pulls it out, but I think this is going to be a wake-up call uh, for that team uh, a little bit, and I think it's going to be a wake-up call to just how good this defense is for a lot of the country um, in terms of its tech. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those games where it's not – It's going to be. I don't think it's going to be high-stirring. I think it will probably be in the teens, maybe the 20s. But I think it's going to be one of those ones where if you're a fan of just watching really intense, well-played defensive football – um, this is going to probably be the game for you. East Carolina. Um, this is another fun one. Um, you know, blog favorite ECU, um, which I don't know why, because if you look at Syracuse's history with ECU, it's not as fun. Uh, but for some reason, uh, we have a soft spot for the Pirates here in the podcast. Um, I really like ECU's offense. I don't think they'll be able to stop anybody, but that might not be a problem with Virginia Tech. Um, I'm gonna go with the Pirates here. To be perfectly honest, like I just like what that me. team. What was that? I was gonna do the same thing, and I was hoping I was gonna be different. <laughs> <laughs> one mind, Dan. One mind. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying. I just think. This thing, East Carolina, just has, has too much firepower. It's just, I mean, they did a re- they played really well against power conference teams last year. I just think they're going to do it again. I mean, you see, you lift teams up. Uh, I mean, we saw what they did in North Carolina. Um, I just think the CCU team uh, is going to win this game. I think that if, you know, there's a if Marshall isn't going to take that that auto bid for the for the group of five, I mean, I think it's easy to lose. Yeah, I think we appreciate ECU because no program ever has wanted to be in the Big East so bad, <laughs> like for years. And and I guess it's kind of like a tragic comedy that they never actually got to the Big East. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm taking ECU too. I just have a feeling about it. Um, they their offense is a lot of fun. Uh, they 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 always step up to the plate. It seems like when they play these big games. So, I don't know, it just seems like a trap-type game for Virginia Tech, a team that will still probably be finding its identity on offense. And uh, I think they'll store some points, but I think ECU will come out and play well. Yep. So that actually – I put Virginia Tech in a bit of a hole here, one and two. Um, and taking on the Georgia Tech, uh, this is a home game for – Virginia Tech, um, it's not a Thursday night game, which I mean, Virginia Tech on Thursday night, especially against Georgia Tech, usually seems like a lock. Um, I think Virginia Tech's still a lock here. We talked about Georgia Tech. I'm not impressed with that roster. I'm not impressed with um, just what they have going on and the lack of direction. Um, Virginia Tech is still going to have something to start out on offense. I think defensively, uh, you know, this is a team that's played Georgia Tech 
um, more than almost more than anybody else um, in recent years, save maybe Georgia and you know obviously the other schools in the coastal. But um, it seems like the the stage in which these two teams always play is, is just ratcheted up a bit. Um, so to be a little more toned down this time around, um, I, I think that's going to make it a little bit tougher for Georgia Tech to get amped. Um, and I see Virginia Tech kind of kind of running away with this one. Yeah, I like Virginia Tech as well in this game. Um, these games tend to be fairly close, but Virginia Tech generally pulls away in it. Uh, they won the last four. Um, none of them have been blowouts. The worst, the worst of the last four was uh, 2011 when Virginia Tech won 37-26. But every other game has been a fairly tight one going back to like 05. Actually, 07 was a blowout for Virginia Tech. But they're they're eight they're eight and three against Georgia Tech. Um, just they have they they get the system. Georgia Tech never had one of those huge offensive games. Uh, I mean, they scored 38 points in 06, but I mean that's a while ago now. So it's just one of those teams that seems to know what they're doing against the triple option. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead with Virginia Tech in this one. No doubt. Uh, so Western Michigan to kind of uh, they're gonna wrap up the non-conference slate and through Georgia Tech in there as well. Um, Western Michigan is not gonna be that great of a football team this year, despite sayings about rowing boats and all kinds of other things. Uh, the Broncos are not that good of a football team. Uh, Virginia Tech's going to manhandle them. Um, so, yeah, Tech wins probably by 30 or so, and if the team is looking for an offensive spark, this is a game they're going to get it in. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it to West, uh, not Western Michigan. I'm going to give it to Virginia Tech. <laughs> um, nice. Pokey <laughs> nice, uh, Twitter just lit you on fire. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and give it to the Broncos. They're gonna row, row those boats. Uh, no, um, this is actually a nice, nice schedule placement, I think, because they're coming off of three pretty difficult games. Uh, they really don't open up too easily, so it's nice to have a, a what should be a decent win right in the right before the heart of ACC play with three tough games in UNC Pitt and Miami coming up, and two home games or two road games there at UNC and at Pitt in the next two weeks. So. They're probably not going to be overlooking this one because it, it'll be a big, big opportunity for a win for them. So I like uh, I like Vatek there. Uh, October fourth at North Carolina. This is a kind of light October for uh, for Virginia Tech. They have I mean, basically uh, they get a bye and then they get a pretty long break uh, from their Miami date till the beginning of November. Um, at North Carolina, I mean, we've both said that North Carolina is, seems like the most likely team to win um, the Coastal Division. I just think that, you know, UNC really, really um, looks the part this year. I know last year was a fairly close game with a 10-point win for Virginia Tech, but it was in the middle of uh, what was a very terrible start for this for the 2013 campaign for the Heels. Um North Carolina's offense wins out here. Um, I mean, it's going to be a lower-scoring game, um, but, but I think Carolina is going to assert themselves at the top of this division uh, with that victory. Uh, so that kind of, you know, despite the fact that Virginia Tech's a very good team, I think they're going to be kind of wandering around the wilderness uh, at this point in the season uh, at 3-3. Three and three. 
Yeah, I'm uh, going agreeing with you. We're both pretty high on UNC, so then I take the same. I think North Carolina just has too much, too much on offense where they'll be able to break through a little bit and into the Vitek defense. But uh, they're just a real twitch-talented team. Obviously, Virginia Tech, if they have a surprising offensive season, could win this game. But just on paper, I, I'm, I'm higher on the Tar Heels. And at Pittsburgh, uh, not a tough road trip, but because Pitt might be, uh, it seems like a candidate, if people are looking for a dark horse in that division, they seem to be gravitating towards Pitt, uh, mostly because there's like four teams that are considered favorites, so your dark horses are kind of limited. Um, I do think that, I think that Pitt's going to challenge him here, but, but I think Virginia Tech's got this one, um, I think, again, defensively, Pitt's going to be searched for some answers. Offensively, obviously, they have the, the playmakers at running back and wide receiver, but it's a question of whether Chad Voidich will be able to to get them the football. Um, this is going to be a very close one. Um, again, Pitt's going to challenge them, but I, I've got Virginia Tech uh, eking this one out. Uh, I think I took Pitt in this one a couple of weeks ago. Um and again, like I never remember who I take unless it's obvious. But I'm gonna—I think I took Pitt, and I'm gonna stitch with that one unless I, have, in fact, didn't take Pitt, in which I'm gonna take Pitt now. So I'm, I'm going with Pitt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way. It starts, yeah, I feel like Bolt was kind of waffled around on this one. I'm not really really remember who I take, but I'm going with Virginia Tech now. There's just so much so many moving parts between those two programs, like. We think Pitt will be pretty good, but we don't know. Virginia Tech's offense is a mystery, but we know the defense will be good. Pitt's home field advantage is always skeptical. So it's just a, it's just one of those games, the whole Coastal, like you just don't know like what's going to – like you know the the pieces that are in place, but they always seem to – something always seems to happen with them. So it's well, it's tough. Yep. Another tough game. I mean, this – when you look at this stretch – I mean, they end the season not too bad, but look at the stretch from Ohio State through Miami here. Um, you really only got Those about are... one game off, and then this is brutal. Like, I, I don't know why I didn't, like, see this beforehand, just how bad this stretch is. Um, I'll be honest, I'm taking Miami here. Uh, <laughs> I know Virginia Tech, uh, you know, really kind of took Miami to the woodshed on the road. Um, in prime time last year, it was. I remember watching that game. It was right after uh, Syracuse's dismantling of Maryland, and I was watching that with uh, with my friends who I was with, uh, Dem DC. But I mean, Virginia Tech made Miami look awful. Now that was the game. Was that the game Duke Johnson got injured? No, he got injured in Florida State, I believe. Uh, um, right. He had like 96 yards, like 30 quarters in, and got hurt. So was that? Yep, that was the game before. So that was Miami's first game without uh, Duke Johnson. So that that probably explains some of this. Um, the fact that it's played in Blacksburg <laughs> is good for Virginia Tech, but I think whatever Miami has to figure out, uh, quarterback-wise, I think they will have figured out. Um, I'm going with Miami, which uh, which will knock Virginia Tech down to uh, to four and four. On my left end, and depending on what you do, Dan, this might uh, this might be do or die. Yep, taking Miami. <laughs> uh, oh. With the caveat that Duke Johnson goes out, um, taking Virginia Tech probably. But uh, I really like Duke Johnson. I think he's one of the 
four or five best running backs in football, um, and assuming he can stay healthy this year, I think he's the, like, he's the Miami offense. Um, absolutely interesting development with them. You see that Brad Kai, it sounds like might be, uh, might be the starter. That would be weird. Uh, apparently, um, Golden, who, according to, uh, Jerry Steinberg at State of the U, um, on the depth chart put Kaya ahead of, of heaps, but in like one of those or situations, which are almost always alphabetical. And it wasn't alphabetical here. And he, and when they asked Golden about it, he said, oh, I just don't know the alphabet well or something. But then I think Jerry said that Golden is apparently a super like intense about keeping his depth chart perfect. So clearly could wasn't a typo. So it, it, I've heard really good things about him. And Jake Heaps is Jake Heaps. He played for a thousand programs and has never been super impressive. So very, it would be a very interesting thing if he ends up winning that starting job. Yeah, I mean that's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Um, and again, if you if you're picking Miami here, I mean that 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 pretty much I mean, kills any last momentum Virginia Tech has. Uh, I mean, I think Miami as well. So it doesn't help matters uh, for them either. November's pretty friendly to them, though. Right. But at the same time, I mean, you got them at three and five through eight. I've got them at four and four at least. Three and five through eight, you're screwed. I mean, in terms of winning a division at least. Oh, yeah, they're not going to win the Toastal. Unless, unless the quarterback and the, the offense comes in. I just didn't see this as a Toastal winning team anyway. I think this is going to be a yeah. – a, a, I mean, spoiler alert, I think this is going to be a sit-and-sit club that is a lot better probably than the Raptor Dentitates, or a little bit better at least. Uh, who just had a really tough middle, actually just pretty much weeks two through uh, whatever week ten or game ten is pretty pretty rough stretch. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. This team uh, definitely could have been worse. Had BC as their crossover, so like it's it's it could have been worse. They could have gotten Clemson or FSU or Louisville or Syracuse. So yeah, that's right. We're one of the power power teams yeah. in the Atlantic. <laughs> I should have I should have probably phrased that better as like they could have done Florida State or Clemson or Louisville or, or Syracuse. <laughs> Those pauses we're, we're, are really You can beat teams. Yeah, DC on November first. Um, DC upset Virginia Tech last year, uh, but that was up at the Heights. Um, I Heights running back. Yeah, you know. Those types of things. They're returning like six starters this year. Uh, so, BC's not winning this game. Uh, Virginia Tech is, is, is going to, could even shut them out, to be honest. Uh, given, I mean, it's not going to, like, it's not like they're going to score 40 points. They're going to score like 20. But, um, Virginia Tech's defense should be able to lock down BC uh, without much effort. Uh, so, this is a win for Virginia Tech. I'm bringing them to five and four on my board. Yep, I'm doing the same thing. I, I just am not seeing what some people are from BC. Uh, some people have them as a you know sits and sits type team. I think that's very generous. Um, so I have Virginia Tech. I'm just looking up how many yards Andre Williams had in some last year. Uh, I'm just interested because that's a really good defense, and he was pretty nasty. Unless he played Scott Schaefer's defense, in which case he wasn't. Um, And BC's website is impossible to navigate, so don't worry about it. Uh, 
<laughs> it's your website, Boston College. Uh, so, yeah. Next week at Duke. Um, Duke won pretty ugly at Virginia Tech last year. I think it was like the first time they ever won in Blacksburg. Um, I know we both really like Duke, but I'm not sure if I like them enough to pick them to win here. Um, I don't think I've picked Duke to win against Virginia Tech then either. So I'm going with Virginia Tech. Now, Dan and I have said for the last two years we should really write these things down when we do them. That way we can reference them again. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going Virginia Tech, albeit uh, that assumes I also pick Virginia Tech against Duke on the Duke podcast. I'm taking Duke as as the the head of the non Duke fan Duke football um uh what's it called? I don't know. I just like Duke a lot and uh I think they'll beat Virginia Tech. Uh, especially at that powerhouse home field advantage at Duke. Um also to go back to the last thing, uh Andre Williams ran for hundred sixty six yards against Virginia Tech, so he was really good. Um but yeah, I like Duke. Um, and yeah, I'm not trying to explain it more than that. Nor should you have to. Um, you won the coast last year. It's all that needed to be. It's all that needed to be said. <laughs> At Wake Forest, Virginia's going to win this uh, because there's one offense that I trust less than Virginia Tech. It's Wake Forest, uh, and up against a very good defense. Things are not going to go well for Wake. Uh, for me, that gets, well, the last game got um, Virginia Tech to six wins for me, so that makes seven for Tech um, on my board. Uh, yeah, I'm taking them against Wake. I appreciate Wake's candor and almost Philadelphia 76ers-esque um, acknowledgement of their situation and the fact that they're just going to start a freshman and see how it goes uh, at quarterback. So I'm taking Virginia Tech. This should be a very uh, – they need this one, and they'll get it. Wake's going to have a rough year. We will cover that next week. Don't worry. Um, and lastly, Virginia. Um Virginia seems like they pulled – well, they at one point were pulling closer to Virginia Tech. Uh, that's sort of gone the other way now. Um, Virginia Tech pulls yet another win against Virginia. This Commonwealth Cup nonsense that they compete for is bogus because um, Virginia Tech's won over a decade's worth of games in a row. Uh, so they're definitely beating the, uh, the Who's. That takes Virginia Tech on my board to 8-4, which is kind of insane. Um, six and two record in the conference, which again makes them contenders for coastal division when they have no business doing so. But that's the coastal for you. Yeah, I'm taking uh, Virginia Tech as well. Get them into a last week bowl here. It's six, I believe, um, which really could have been worse considering the schedule. But I, again, I think this team will be better than your standard six and six ACC team. They just really have a tough run and didn't do themselves any. Uh, favors scheduling Ohio State, um, although they could win that game, and ECU, uh, although they could also win that game. Uh, but considering everything, like this was when you won one year, one of your 
easy quote unquote games that's supposed to be ECU. That's just not the best. Yeah, Virginia Tech, not the worst, not the best. Uh, I think that's a fair way to describe <laughs> uh, describe this season for them. Um, any uh, any last words? I guess before we before we bid goodbye to uh, to the Hokies for this week. No, I, I've just been watching the Steve Spurrier Ice Bucket Challenge on repeat for the last hour. So, thanks for telling me that Haymouth because I'm I'm very excited about it. Um, happy to help. Uh, I, you know, it's it's going to be a fun year. I'm excited. Um, this won't be the last podcast of the week. We're really ramping up for the season here, so just real happy to be getting going. Same. And uh, for those who are tuning in today, we have another podcast tomorrow that'll be a little bit of a season preview for Syracuse. And uh, Sean will be joining us at least by all accounts today. So. For those who only tune in for Sean. And now we have to. Okay. It's, on, it's on audio. <laughs> <laughs> it's on audio. It's written in stone. He now has to be here. And it'll be something different. We're not talking about Wake Forest tomorrow, at least to my knowledge. We might end up talking about Wake Forest. You never really know what's going to happen here, but that's not the plan. And actually, if there's one thing you can guarantee, is that we won't talk about Wake Forest. <laughs> Sorry, Deeks. We do love you guys. Yeah, you're in, you're in the family. We'll, we'll both will be down there. Um, I don't support trading Wake Forest to the American Conference or anything. Um, at least not yet. Maybe they'll get on my nerves, but it's FTC, always nice to though. have. No, although if, if we if we had a a Wake Forest for Vanderbilt trade on the on the line, I'd have a tough time not giving them the boot. I always thought that trading one of the uh, North Carolina teams for a Vandy wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I would take great for Vandy. Uh, although it's, yeah. it's really a wash athletically. Uh, <laughs> it's a wash athletically, but it, it both both conferences get into new markets. Fair. I'd also, I'd definitely consider Wake for Kentucky. Mm. Yeah, uh, I guess. I don't know. I kind of like having the private schools around. Um, just also, yeah. I, I like we're not a total outcast like we would have been in the Big Ten, which people don't seem to realize. Some people don't seem to realize. Yeah, this uh, hypothetical realignment stuff is always entertaining. But I think, I think we're good for now. Uh, maybe tomorrow we end up rehashing. So maybe you are on the podcast, Wake. Who really knows? Um, yeah, it could be. We could end up talking about Wake for like 45 minutes tomorrow. <laughs> we we talked about crazier Tennessee for things about have happened today, so. and they're not even in the conference. <laughs> ECU and Tulane managed to get themselves in almost every single podcast. Part of it's because we talk about that ODU on tomorrow. Ah, that's right. We are. We definitely are talking about ODU dog tomorrow. We need something on the on the rundown here. Yeah, that'll. That'll definitely be. If you're wondering what we're talking about, just text Twitter from like a day or two ago. And it should tell you all you need to know about ODU, Doug. He's adorable. I want him. <laughs> all right. Not, so, not really not, not dressed as a lion. That's a little weird. But just in general, I, I, probably, I want a dog. Same. 
We can act shot about it tomorrow, as as he is a dog owner. All right. Well, good fun, as always. Yeah, this is this has been delightful. But uh, yeah, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on uh, on Blog Talk and on iTunes. Just to uh, just to you know, be a friend, uh, rate us very well. I would hope. Um, and yeah, we will see you uh, tomorrow. Actually, uh, thanks for tuning in. And next week we'll be saying go orange. But for right now, just uh, thanks for stopping by. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.